Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of The Things I Haven't Even Told My Therapist. For those of you who don't know, my name is Connor Lloyd. I'm an all-else, pretty normal college student with depression and anxiety disorder. Through the lens of my experiences and those of my friends, I want to change the way that we as academic institutions, athletic organizations, and overall society address matters in mental health. I am, of course, joined by my friend and co-host, Tatum Ngati. Tate, how are you doing today? I am good, Connor. How are you doing? Cannot complain. It's actually a pretty nice day out today, despite the fact it's already getting pretty chilly. Yeah, it was cold today, colder than it has been. Yeah, so just a look at what's what's to come out here in Brunswick, Maine. (laughs) When do you think the first snow will be, actually? Yesterday, mm. me and Paula, one of the strength and conditioning coaches, we placed bets. That's what I was going to say. We should set a, we should set an over-under line. I think, um, I don't know, do you think it'll be before or after Thanksgiving? I think right before. Mm. I think it's going to be late November. Okay, I think that's a good bet. I would put it, I think weekend before Thanksgiving. That's when my dad's coming out, too, so. That's what I said, November yeah. 21st, I yeah. think. Yeah, I think that's a good line. Mm, okay. Listeners, if you want to text in or tweet in your uh, over-under bets, we can, um, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll do something. Yeah. There will be a sweepstakes to come. Just yeah. haven't figured it out yet. A giveaway. Yeah, exactly. We'll do an ASMR episode. No, no. <laughs> the, the reward is that we won't. Anyways, um, turning back to the topic at hand, we have an awesome interview for you guys today um, with Tatum's sister of all people, McKenna, the eldest and Gotti. So... I'm going to let Tatum intro that a little bit, but make sure you stay tuned afterwards because we'll be doing some closing discussions, uh, some sharing of some stories of our own and discussion there as well. So, Tate, you want to cue us in? Yeah. So, like Connor said, we interviewed my sister McKenna this week. She's, I'm one of three girls. I'm in the middle. She's the oldest. And she is going to talk about her experience just as a D1 athlete and some things that happened to her throughout college. I do want to make a disclaimer that there will be discussions involving sexual abuse and rape. So if that's uncomfortable for any listeners, yeah, just a disclaimer that those will be coming up. But without further ado, let's get into it. McKenna and Gotti here via FaceTime, ready to share some stories, share um, some experiences, and share some advice, hopefully, too. My sister. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) McKenna, how old are you? I am 23. We'll be 24 in December. How much older than me are you? 16 months. (laughs) I never know if it's 16 or 18, which I guess is very easy to calculate on my part, but... (laughs) Not a mathematician here. Yeah, so we have my sister on today. Going to be telling a few stories. Very exciting. Very excited to have you on. Thank you. It's not very often you contact me, so. That's (laughs) not true. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. okay. You're right. You're right. Every once in a while, I love you, text her. Hope you're doing well. But she actually wanted to talk this time. I was like, wow, Tatum has time to talk. Well, let's just start. Do you want to start just talking about, like, who who is McKenna? What Tell us about, like, I mean, I know about you, but you were a D1 college athlete. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with that and, like, how that's led you in the past few years? Sure. So I grew up a competitive soccer player, and to be honest, it kind of ruled my life for the past, I guess, 20 out of 23 years almost, or 
maybe not quite that long, but something close to that. Um, I had, you know, soccer every weekend. So a lot of the time I, you know, in high school, I didn't get to live the normal life where I got to go out on a Friday, Saturday night. A lot of it was spent, you know, up in the lovely desert of Sherlock playing a soccer tournament or two, three games in a row with my dad or with my youngest sister on the sideline or whoever it may have been. Well, like I said, um, I was competitive and I was good and I had some some coaches that made me very good but also um, really were not great for my mental health, I don't think. They made me tougher but definitely a lot of verbal and emotional abuse over there. And I can say that confidently because I know normal coaches don't do some of the things that that they did and said. And I can vouch um. for this because these coaches ruled our family conversations for probably 10 years. That's all oh. we would ever talk about at dinner, lunch, family car rides. It's just these dumbass coaches. <laughs> well, because it was fascinating because they were just so whack. Like when you hear the stories, it's actually like comical unless you're the one that's actually, you know, yeah, no. seeing them every day. But if you're out on the sideline just listening to it, it's, it's pretty entertaining. It's definitely entertaining. It's certainly not okay, though. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. So was good was, you know, avid soccer player committed my sophomore year to Stanford. And the reason for that was because they were they were close by. So a lot of the other schools I wanted to go to um, that were both strong academic schools and had strong women's soccer programs. Um, were far away, like the Notre Dames and the Georgetowns and the Virginias and all that. It was tougher for them to see me play than Stanford. Um, so committed there, stayed committed to them for two years. And on signing day of my senior year, which was like February, uh, I forget the exact day, but it was February of my senior year of high school, um, they called me during my lunch break at school and told me I didn't get in. Um, and they said the reason for that was academics, which I'm just going to be straight straight up with you that's absolute bullshit because we know what my what my SAT scores were and what my GPA was and we knew also what the other girls was actually too and um I was absolutely fine in that sense it was just they found some other players that they liked better than me at the time and so they were gonna have to drop a couple of us so they dropped two or three of us in their recruiting class of 10 and they narrowed it down to seven so I was one of the ones that they dropped and I had to scramble to find somewhere else to play during that time and it just so happened to be that one of the schools on my list, um, Northwestern, they were looking for a defender and they had one last ID camp in December that I was, even though Stanford had told me not to look at any other backup schools, we were getting kind of worried because we still hadn't received my application from them in December and I knew the rest of the girls in my class did. So I went out, flew on a red eye just in case, played the next day at Northwestern ID camp, had had an awesome ID camp um, and ended up committing there right after Stanford told me no. Um, and to be honest, I it, it didn't even surprise me or shake me that much at that point. I really hadn't had much contact with Stanford or much attention from them at all. So it's like, I don't know how to put this, but I, I wasn't crying. I wasn't super upset. I just wanted to go to Northwestern more at that point. I was like, I'm over this. I'm done. I, I don't even care. Well, at that point, um, we had also been asking them like, for a while, you know, like, should, sh- not we, I did, I was not really involved in this, obviously. Um, my parents and McKenna had been asking the, the coach, like, over and over again, should we be looking at backups? Like, just in case, what do you need from her? It's okay, just, like, be straight with us. And over and over again, he said, like, no, don't look at backups, don't do this and that. Oh, yeah. You're fine. And, like, so we, like, we kind of knew something fishy was going on, so it wasn't that much of a surprise, but... They, yeah, you can tell when a coach what it feels like to be recruited and wanted and stuff, and there's there's a big difference for anybody who plays 
any level of sports in college, you know when a coach wants you. And I just could sense that he was no longer interested. But every time we asked, you know, they exactly what Tatum said. They were like, no, no, you're fine. Your grades are good. Keep it up. Or we'll be at this tournament to see you play. You know, all that bullshit. Um, and so I didn't. I didn't look at any other backups. And it almost screwed me over. Thank God we went to that ID camp against their will. But, but yeah, that was um, a tough experience. And then I went to Northwestern my freshman year, played soccer there. I absolutely loved the team and the girls. And I loved Chicago as well. But I, I think there's a big difference between one of those Stanford and power powerhouse um, women's soccer programs, like a top five, top ten team versus you know, a top 50 team or a top 100 team. And I really, you know, I worked so hard all my life and soccer had ruled my life and I really wanted the chance to, to compete for a national championship. So I made the switch to Virginia. Probably wasn't in my best interest looking back on it. Went from playing 90 minutes to, you know, a good zero minutes on the bench for about three years. Um, and that, I cannot express to you how mentally taxing that was because it is – um, you're there every day. Anybody knows if they've ever, you know, sat on the bench for a season. It's You're there for everyone else, right? You are there to make everyone else better. And it's never about you. It's always about everybody else. And you are just giving all your time and attention and effort and energy to, to the girls and to the people that are starting ahead of you to make them better. And if they don't appreciate that or if they're not super, how would I put it, or they just have never been on the bench and they don't know any better, it's uh, – it's a tough spot to be in. I can't, and you honestly, I could describe it to you as, oh, it sucks to be on the bench, but until you've really been there and you've gone through season after season, sitting there and watching everybody else play over you and trying your best during playing time, there's nothing I can say that would describe it. You have to be in that situation yourself to truly see what it's like. Not to mention um, the, the girls on your team were not – the greatest people to you or to each other no team my transition there was not very smooth at all there were some things I definitely could have done better like I was late some of our practices and some of our meetings and stuff and at a top five program right you can't that's a big no-no so the girls instantly um (laughs) I guess fostered a hatred for me because of that and because they, you know, they were scared that this Northwestern starting defender was going to come in and take their spot. Roster's already big. They don't want anybody to risk their playing time. So it was tough. It took me like a good four months to break in. And then, yeah, spent three years there. And then luckily had a fifth year of eligibility because of COVID. Um, and so I ended up coming back to Chicago to DePaul because they, um, they needed some help. They didn't have a whole lot of players. And I, I knew I wanted to be back in that area, and they had um, exactly the master's program that I wanted to pursue, which was supply chain management. And they weren't going to make me take the um, the GMAT or the GRE or those um, business tests to get in. The, uh, the deadline to apply was a little bit later, so I didn't have to rush in my application like I would have at some other schools I was looking at. So it just turned out to be really nice fit for me. Um, and then I got I learned to appreciate soccer a little bit more, I think, at that time. It was still stressful it's always felt like a chore and not not as much fun but um I think getting the playing time again and getting to be around people who appreciated me and a young female coach who totally understand what it's like to be in our shoes um was really really special and it, it yeah it just made me appreciate the game a little bit more again yeah do you want to talk a little bit about you obviously had a season at UVA during COVID uh, fall of 2020 which was crazy do you want to talk a little bit about that and what that was like yeah so that was 
probably the, one of the low points in my life. I had chosen to live with some of my sorority sisters in a house instead of um, with my teammates. And I thought about it, but it was my last year at UVA, and I really wanted to live with my, my best friends, right? But my coach really, really, really was very adamant about keeping our, our team bubble, our team bubble. Like, we could not be out caught with anybody else outside of our team. We got tested daily for COVID, and God forbid, like, you hung out with a – I'm going to say the term dark, but I don't know if you guys know what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. So he knew I was living – with NARPS and he was really, really scared from the get-go and of course I was with him and a bunch of other shit went down where he found out I, I wasn't being as good about the rules as I should have been, which is fair, um, but definitely definitely sucked for me because nobody else was in the same situation as me. He had offered me um, for the season to either live in a freshman dorm room by myself or to stay where I was and maybe not play um, with the team that season. And so that's what I chose because I, I valued my mental health a little bit more than sitting in a whole freshman dorm by myself, my whole fall senior year. So, um, I chose that and I had left soccer for this few, for this, yeah, a few months. Um, that was really strange and weird for me not having soccer all of a sudden. I think I hit a low point in my life for sure. Do you want to talk about what happened during yeah. those months? Yeah. So I was, um, I was, partying a lot at that time uh I was hanging out a lot like I was just kind of a big fuck you to my coach and fuck you to my teammates who had actually um excuse my language but they were the reason to be honest that I wasn't playing that season they had told they were very they don't really have anything better to do than to check up on people during COVID right these girls don't have a whole lot of other hobbies or interests or things to do besides soccer so they were very like you know helicopter mom looking out for all of us and they found out that um that I'd broken the rules and they uh they told that to my coach and that's the reason why I wasn't playing okay but let's be clear uh, about what the rule break was because it wasn't like you were out partying what was the oh rule no break? I was at the grocery store yes so, the, <laughs> so we weren't allowed to get it <laughs> yeah the expectations of their team during this time was that they had all of their food delivered to them they weren't allowed to grocery shop they weren't allowed to go out to restaurants so I just want to make that clear that it's not like you were out partying in the middle of your season when you weren't supposed no. to. You were right. just grocery shopping. <laughs> no, I could. I mean, I I think I wrote when I was so mad and frustrated. This I got to look at my notebooks. I might have just wrote down all the shit that happened um, somewhere in there. But yeah, it was for that reason I wasn't allowed to play because I was out getting tampons and um, something else, and I did not. Want it. I wasn't gonna like DoorDash that, I and mean, I was kicked off. And then Tate wants me to elaborate. Uh, like I said, not a great, uh, was really, really, even though I wasn't playing and I had really resented a good chunk of my teammates, not all of them, but some of them, um, I just started, I was really mad and I just started partying a lot and hanging out with um, my boyfriend at the time, his fraternity brothers a lot, and I was just kind of a big fuck you. I want to surround myself. I'm going to go out and do whatever I want. I'm going to surround myself with people that, don't play sports and then I can have a good time with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it ended up being that one of my best, best guy friends there who was the best friend of my ex-boyfriend at the time, um, totally took advantage of me and raped me one night when I was blackout drunk, like ridiculously, ridiculously blackout drunk to the point where I wanted to sleep in the fraternity house's toilet, like with my hair in the toilet and my head in there, which he saw. Um, and yeah, I was totally 
taken advantage of when I had tried to walk back to my house by myself. I don't even know how I was able to do that because I barely remember any of that. I was banging on the door of my house and it was locked um, and I didn't have a key with me. So my friend and the rapist were also happened to be walking after me um, and they offered me to come stay at rapist place because that's I always spend my time there I slept there every other night because my boyfriend had lived there and that's where we always hung out like our little squad of eight nine people um so they took me back up there don't remember hardly anything fell asleep on the couch and then two three hours later when everybody had cleared out of there or like the couple of people that were there uh, he took me to his room and totally took advantage of me and I kind of knew like the next morning because I could see my clothes on the floor and I felt like something was up like you, you just know you know what I mean like and I had vague memories of it in my head but I was trying not to think about it and I just ran out of the house and ran back to where I lived um, which was right across the street and like screamed and banged on the door and told somebody let me in um, somebody that <laughs> wasn't even one of my roommates let me in and I went all the way upstairs and just started screaming at my roommates, telling them what happened, how, how the fuck could they ever lock the door on me if they knew I was still out, and, like, why would they ever do that? And they took me to the hospital to get a rape kit, and they felt so, so bad. And I still feel bad thinking back how I treated them during that situation. But it was all, it was all in the moment, and it sucked, but they took really – they knew exactly what to do immediately. Like, a rape kit, you can only um, – you can only really test for the – I don't know what to call it – for the evidence – a certain amount of time after it's happened right and it has to be like your same underwear your same clothes and all that so they took me like immediately to go get the kid done and were able to catch some of his dna in there and stuff eventually so i'm really grateful that they took that they took me there and chose to have me do that or they didn't choose to have me but gave me the option because a lot of roommates wouldn't think to do that what do you think made you want to do that i know it's like such an invasive thing especially after such like a horrific and like vulnerable incident and having to do it the same day pretty much like was there anything that your roommates said or did that made you want to do it more they said we're not going to pressure you I, I kind of remember this part um but if you want to get it done or have any chance of actually catching him and his dna we have to go now because it's not one of those things that you can say oh tomorrow i think that this is a good thing have time to think about it so i knew i wanted to have it as an option so i went um, and my head, I will never forget that, like, hangover. My head was throbbing the entire time I was at the hospital. I, like, I couldn't even, they were talking in my ear and out the other, right? Like, the nurses and what they were saying, I was sitting there, like, half asleep, half awake, like, sitting up, trying, like, pretending I knew what they were talking about. And I was literally just having a headache and didn't really understand anything they were saying or hearing it. And I even fell asleep, I think, while they were talking. Um, so, Yeah. Did you know at the time that you, like, thought you were going to press charges or anything, or was it just because you wanted to have the option later on? I wanted to have the option later on. I had no, like, that wasn't even, right after that happened to you, that's, like, the last thing you're thinking about. Right. You're thinking about so many other things, if I could go back to what was going on in my half-awake head. But, like I said, the way my roommate phrased it was that we can, you know, we can go now if you want and do the option. You don't have to, but just know if you don't, like, then we can't because this is not something we can do tomorrow so yeah and did you ever he was like one of your best friends right oh yeah I had um there were like a couple kind of red flags 
a little bit before that where I thought maybe he was getting a little touchy-feely or getting a little, like, weirder than usual, um, but never to the point, like, where I didn't trust him, right? Like, he had actually done this to a girl last year that came forward about it who happened to be one of my ex-roommates, and she was going to press charges. She, like, filed a claim against him with the school and all that, and they were, like, doing a Title IX investigation to the school. And me, I, I hated my ex-roommate. Like, she was also not. So me and everybody else was like, he would never do that. Like, my ex-boyfriend and I were like, that's bullshit. Like, you can't just say this to me, right? You say it didn't. We all took sides against her. Um, and now looking back on it, I feel really, really bad because I'm like, damn, she was probably telling the truth and no one, no one believed her. Definitely. Maybe even more girls. I think there were, yeah, more incidences as well. Yeah, that's crazy so what was your decision to seek justice against him like like how did that process draw out from there about how much time did it take to it took so that's the hard part about this it took over a year and for the title nine and criminal justice process for the rape it's actually short believe it or not i have to look back i should have written down everything that happened there was so much shit that went on and bullshit where people knew stuff and they weren't telling us or um his side was allowed to like investigate certain people and be very like passive aggressive and they were I remember they were interrogating the fraternity boys and trying to get them to admit to having drugs and if they didn't their fraternity would get like all this crap that's just so unethical of the investigators to be doing that to these young boys who were just like defending me um I think the reason and I'll be honest with you I like Tatum and I I wouldn't say we're like wealthy wealthy but we were comfortable and my parents were willing to pay for a good attorney. Like the initial one that I had that was assigned by the school, she had so many cases she was worrying about and so many girls she was helping with. I knew I wasn't going to get the results with her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I told my mom and dad that they really valued criminal justice. They were willing to hire this attorney in Washington, D.C. who had, he was new to the Title IX process and the whole rape thing, but he had a good, um, a good background in law school and he'd, done really well I guess in some other cases that he won so we they went ahead and hired him but I think back to he probably is the one that helped get the results that I wanted because if I stuck with the initial attorney that I was assigned to that was free from the school which a lot of girls have to do because they don't have the money um probably no chance we would have we would have came out of this case and won it yeah because he also um yeah, I'm a little vengeful, obviously, as the sister of this. Of so I'm just going to, like, add a little of context that you're probably not going to add. But, like, the day that McKenna was at the hospital, her boyfriend was, like, trying to reach her and stuff and um, obviously couldn't. And he knew she was at the hospital. So he texted his friend who had just done this to McKenna and was like, yo, do you know what happened to McKenna? Like, why is she at the hospital? And this boy was like, what? And he was like, she's at the hospital. And I think he, like, didn't say anything and, like, fled the school. Just, like, went home to Northern Virginia and never came back to the school. Obviously, because he knew he, like, fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously. But ended up hiring a really good lawyer, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, she helped way back when. I forget the case what the case was called, but it's a famous one from UVA, this lacrosse player, um, I think he, like, raped and killed 
some girl at the school and she was on his defense team or something like that. Um, and she was a very, yeah, she was a very, very good defense attorney. Um, and that, that's how I knew, like, we weren't gonna, like, she's good at her job as horrible and unethical as it is. Like she was gonna tear my lawyer to pieces. Like they easily would have won with her. I feel like, um, she just knows all the right things to, to say. And it's, hard to explain but any little thing I did wrong or any tiny mismatch in anything I said and like in my story she would be ready to just hammer me on it um and that made everything I said and did so important like I had to be so careful about what I said to people and what I told people and how I updated them and that was really frustrating because I'm used to being like an open book and sharing my emotions and being super honest with my friends but I had to keep a lot of it to my to myself and to my immediate family I guess yeah. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about, like, the justice process? It it took, like, obviously a really long time, and it was really frustrating and taxing. But from your perspective, like, what was that like? I need to look back at my uh, – at all the stuff I wrote down about this from the time. Because to be honest, I, for, I forget a lot of it. It was a lot of bullshit. But I know um, one thing that happened that really frustrated me was that they actually had – the process for them to test his DNA takes a long time, right? They have, like, these labs have thousands of little, like, great kits of people's DNA, and it takes them forever. Like, it's sitting there for months and months and months for them to test it. And it turns out they had actually already, I think, tested his and found that it was, like, a like a very – how they do the results is weird. It's, like, a good – they're basically able to give you a percentage or an odd that it was this kid that raped me, and it was actually a very good percentage. Like, his DNA came up and all that. Um but they hid it from us or they didn't tell us that they had it back for like months. And he, the, and the other side knew, knew exactly what the results were like five. That might be an exaggeration, but no, it was definitely like a good couple months. months. It was like, five like months, a good chunk of time before we did. And I just felt like, like the whole process was just designed against me. Like it was designed to make me lose. That's what it felt like. And I had the best attorney, like, the greatest support system, my parents and my sisters and my friends, like, and all his friends, everybody on it, like, all his fraternity brothers, like, his ex-girlfriend even, like, that I was ish friendly with, but not really, like, everybody believed me. I had the best support system, the best social system I could have had, and I just still felt, for some reason, like, it was difficult because the whole process was designed to have him win. What happened with, like, the trial and everything? How long did it actually take to reach a actual from start to finish how long do you think it took to get a result he didn't take our plea deal until march of this past march actually um i'm now i'm guess i'd now be a sixth year in college but this happened yeah first semester of my um senior year of college now give it a whole year that would be a fifth year fall and then go all the way up to March and that's so it's almost like a good year and a half later that we got finally got some results and apparently and I totally believe this now that's very very quick or quicker than usual so I can only imagine what these other girls are going through and that was for they would um we had given them the plea deal at a certain date and they were waiting and waiting and waiting to find you know they could delay it basically as long as they wanted that was another thing like every time we tried to have like a hearing or something like that for him to come forward and said what he did his the lawyer would just postpone it and we couldn't say no i forget why but it's some dumb rule 
Um, and so they just kept delaying it until they knew every piece of evidence they had and like they had all the information they could to put forward like the best case to to beat me I guess in the trial or to put me down and that took yeah over a year of delays yeah it's also absurd because that's like a year and a half of time away from you to be focusing Mm -hmm. on this trauma that happened do you think you were even able to start healing during that time or has it only been after you like Mm -hmm. finally got some results it was such a huge relief this whenever I found out even like after this past March that he had taken the plea deal. But yeah, it was one of those lingering things where it feels like one of those extra classes you have that's stressful almost, but it just doesn't go away. Like the class lasts a year and a half and it just kind of sits in the back of your head. And to be honest, I probably should have been more adamant about seeing a therapist. I did a little bit here and there, but I just, I don't know. I'd always, when my mom had put me in therapy when I was little, I always thought it was a bad thing and I just hated it. But yeah, I, it would always come and go in the back of my head. And I think to try to cope with that, I would try to stay as busy as possible. Like I would work on my schoolwork. I would do my soccer stuff. I would worry about finding a place to go for my fifth year. And I would and do my athletes in action, my Bible studies, all that. And I would just stay as busy as absolutely possible to make sure I had never worry about it, that I would never think about it. And it worked a lot of the time, but then it didn't when I would go home for like a Christmas break or a Thanksgiving break when I'm done with a quarter of the semester and I have nothing really going on on my plate to think about and then I would start having like nightmares and dreams about it again and stuff and that kind of told me I need to start really seeing a therapist more consistently about this because it's obviously not going to go away it's just Mm -hmm. in the back of my head right and have you been seeing a therapist I was we still haven't found the um the right one because the therapist I wanted to see and have the best connection with she didn't specialize in this kind of like Mm -hmm. sexual trauma unfortunately which is yeah, kind of a bummer, but I do need to be more adamant about looking for one right now, both for that to help me completely heal and move on from this whole Title IX case, but also just for my own, like, mental health and for my own anxiety for other reasons. So. Yeah, I mean, you've always struggled with anxiety, as have I, who runs in our family, lucky us. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's bad, yep. Yeah, but I would say we have very different presentations of our anxiety that's very true. When I'm anxious and when there's something going on, there's no hiding it. Like, you'll know. Tatum's very good about putting it under the surface, and I'll check on her every once in a while. Like, she's totally fine. What's everybody talking about? Like, she's fine. I talked to her yesterday. But me, it's like I will have a mental breakdown. I'll be right in everybody's face, and they will know something is wrong. And I remember, and this was, like, I think a big achievement for me, as weird as that sounds. So my friends were like, McKenna, like when all this was going down and how I was handling it the rest of that quarter and the rest of the year, they were like, I'm actually really proud of you. Like you are handling all this and doing really well right now for what it is. Like it could be so much, could have been a lot worse, especially knowing my anxiety and my background. But I I truly think that the reason I was able to kind of still go back to school and still be able to handle it and still go back to soccer was because of the support system I had. Like I said, everybody believed me. Everybody took my side. And that made me feel so empowered because he, like the rapist, he was alone, completely alone. All his friends, his girl, everybody left him. He only had his family. And that sucks when all of your friends all of a sudden start ditching you and never talking to you again. I mean, Um, as they should, though, let's... Yeah, yeah. I think that is the worst more than anything we put, like, in his plea deal that we wanted as a punishment or anything like that. I think that was probably the 
big thing that hurt him. And that was something that I didn't even have to put into words or write down or be like, Hey, mm-hmm. he has to be completely isolated. Like that was kind of came with it, which was really, really nice. And I think that probably made him probably was his biggest punishment or made him realize what he did the most. Yeah. I think it's also like going back to before he had already had this title nine case against him where everyone did take his side. How do you like reconcile that now? Kind of like, do you feel for your old roommate? I know you guys had your differences and everything, but I can't imagine how she must've felt in that moment. It's such a stark contrast from your experience with this. Exactly why I feel so bad. I think there's so many girls that go through this and the friends of the guy or the families of the guy or like everybody's going to take his side, right? Or at least a good half of people are going to take his side and that gives him so much leverage, whoever the rapist is. Um, And that's probably what happened with her. Like they never ended up pressing charges or anything because none of us were going to like, they didn't have any evidence, any proof, like no one was going to believe her. Like I feel bad looking back on that. That's probably not probably that is the situation with most girls who this happens to, right? Not you're going to have a good chunk of people, a good 50% at bare minimum, not believe you and not want to take it seriously. And then it's, it's kind of up to you and how well you can handle it and how, if you really want to go through it for a year and a half and it sucks. Yeah. I mean, I think lucky is a very strong word, obviously for the situation, but I think you were blessed with, the support system that you had and that your friends I mean I read the like 50 page document of everybody's testimony and stuff and some like even random friends of friends submitted statements like testifying to how you were that night or how you were the next morning and whatnot and those kinds of things it's all so important and having that support system I think like really made quite a difference it did. It made me feel so empowered and it is what made me wanted to continue going through with it. And my parents as well. The fact that they were willing to pay for an attorney that they believed in this criminal justice system, that they wanted justice just as badly as I did, if not more, um, really, really helped. Because if they were going to put their money into anything, this this was it. Like, this was the cause that they were willing to put all their money into. And not, not everybody would be willing to do that. Not everybody's parents. So I got really, really lucky. Did you ever have a moment, like, during the trial or anything where you thought maybe it wasn't worth it anymore to try to get justice? Or did you always have your mind set that you were going to go after this guy and he was going to get what he deserved? I'm a fighter, right? Like I'm a competitor. So I, for the most part, I really knew I wanted to go through with it because I, I knew what happened and I knew I was so in the right. And when you know you're so in the right, like you want to go through with it, right? Because that's just how I am. But I will say when when I first heard what the appropriate amount of jail time was for him, for my attorney and whether or not he was going to take that, I thought, I thought about just quitting on it. Cause I was like, that is ridiculous. Like he's seriously only going to spend three months in jail as a certified rapist. Like that's, what do you mean? We have people going to jail for years for doing drugs. And then he gets to go sit in there for like 30 days or have a little anklet monitor on and not even go in or do any, like that was, really tough for me to hear because it just didn't it didn't make any sense to me there's some times that are worse than others and that that would be his sentencing time just blew my mind yeah it doesn't make any sense no it's like it's so dumb like yeah and then he gets like the way you do it too is you're supposed to like if I say I want him in there for six months and he does good the first three months he's like he gets out after Mm -hmm. three months basically if he follows the rules 
So basically whatever I say, um, it's halved, which also didn't really help. And he had a good attorney who was going to defend him and stuff. So it didn't, I don't know, that really messed with my head and that made me really, really aggravated and mad. And I know it made my roommates mad and everybody else who loved me and supported me too, because I think everybody else was just as mad as I was about that, if not even more. Oh, I'm so um, mad about it. I'm like three months. Come on. Come no, it's on, like man. bullshit. Like yeah. he, yeah, you should have to sit in jail and sit with your thoughts alone and really think about what you did. And I don't know if there's a, what the right time span for that is. I think it depends on like, the severity of the situation, but three months to me was just way too short. Yeah. yeah. Definitely agreed. And as you moved on from the situation and everything, how, how did it affect your ability to trust strangers and trust the men in your life or the men that came into your life? My relationship with my boyfriend at the time was never the same. I don't think we ever fully recuperated it. And he's an an interesting one. Jaden can vouch for that. He had a lot of um, shit that he dealt in his life, too. And I think he felt like a lot of people were leaving him. And at the time, he felt like now not only did he lose his best friend in that situation, but also his girlfriend, which wasn't the case because I was still there for him. Um, Or at least I tried to be. But it it never, our relationship was never the same after that. I don't think it's that I, I didn't trust, well, I guess it's that we didn't fully trust each other. Like, part of him wanted to believe that I was flirting with him or that I took that upon myself or this and that, but I can, I can really tell you from the bottom, I had no interest in getting with boy. Like, I was just not interested in him. And the fact that my ex-boyfriend just wanted to believe that so badly, it just, it cause a lot of attention in our relationship we just never really fully trusted each other in the same way um i think that was kind of the beginning of the end for us what about like friendships as your sister it definitely made me question some of my friendships with boys that i trusted because i mean as your family we had heard about this boy like for years prior and how good of friends you were and to hear that he then did that i was like do i even know my friends i did have some of that I think because the fraternity boys were there for me and did all the right things that they were supposed to do and told the truth and they should have done, I didn't really question a whole lot of my relationships with them. But I will say, walking into any, like, so, I mean, not even party, just, like, hanging out in somebody's room or just doing, it was so uncomfortable and awkward for, like, the next several, several months, for the rest of the year, basically, after that. Because I just knew what everyone was thinking in the back of their head, like, everyone fucking knew what happened and I you know there's kind of an elephant in the room and I'm walking in there and it's just like an unsaid uncomfortability mm-hmm. that's there and I hated that and I think slowly but surely I kind of stopped hanging out with them a little bit because it just was just felt weird and uncomfortable a little bit but I think it actually made my friendships maybe even stronger though on the girl side because all my friends were there for me and they were going through it with me and they they literally did everything they possibly could to be there for me. Like when we were over spring break and I was hanging out with some of them down in North Carolina at the beach and I had gotten that, you know, 15 page, 30 page, I don't even remember how long it was. 15 pages. 15 pages just saying that I'm a complete liar and that I have no um, credibility was really rough. But they were, you know, they were there. They didn't read it with me, but they were there to just help distract me and keep me calm and keep me going. Um, same with my parents, same with my sisters. So. I mean, what advice would you give to other girls going through this? Because it's, it's it's a long road, and you 
are a fighter. It's just in your nature, but not everyone is as determined as you are. And I really admire that about you. But what advice would you give to other people that are going through this and maybe feel like, is it even worth it? That's a really good question. The only thing I feel bad because I wish I could say more, but I know how lucky I was in this situation. I think you just have to believe in yourself and believe in as horrible as it is because you don't want to think about it, right? You don't want to think about exactly what happened. You don't want want to have to keep talking about it and telling your story over and over, like like the details, right? To the fucking police, the full-grown police officer and the investigator and the attorney, like going through the details of the rape is, um, is disgusting and horrifying. And some girls, I just think, won't ever be able to really talk confidently about that. And I feel bad, but I think just believing in yourself and believing that what happened was real, as tough as that is, helps you keep going. Like, you know the truth. You know that this happened inside of you. Like, it's sitting in there, and you have to remind yourself that so that you're able to, like, fight and keep going. Because if you kind of start to doubt yourself a little bit or doubt the story or doubt what happened, I feel like you're there's no way you keep going for a full year and a half, right? Like, I believed in every second of this, and I knew this kid was rapist and what he did to me, and I wanted revenge so badly. And I think if if girls can find a way to build up that mental strength and believe in what they know happened and believe in themselves. I feel like it gives them a much better, maybe not a better chance of winning, but just helping themselves continue to go forward with the team. Yeah. Especially because you have so many people on their side, on the other hand, trying to like bring you down and invalidate your feelings exactly. and experience and what happened. Yeah. And question you and question everything that happened. And you don't, and it's so hard because you don't like, I'm, blackout drunk basically at this point right like I only remember snippets of it I couldn't move I was like a zombie um so it's hard like you can't even remember everything that happened but when you know you know like I know this this kid raped me like I know this was so wrong and that is what made me so like fiercely want to get revenge or want to set things straight at least yeah definitely what was your experience with the institution the whole issue at hand here is like the matter is so much bigger than um, one case or one instance and one bad guy because at the end of the day it's like so common it seems on college campuses all of them small big state or not and um, what was your experience like dealing with your college and what were your biggest frustrations there I, I forget all the details but they had come up with a new they were hiring new people into their title nine office it seemed like every year every day and had created a new policy or a new way of dealing or investigating these claims, right? And so I just felt like it was, again, taking way too long. Like, they kind of set it up as they wanted the criminal process to go first, and then they could follow in their footsteps. But, you know, the criminal process took forever to come to a closure. So then that made the UVA case, the Title IX case, even longer to come to a closure. And I felt like even after he admitted to being guilty, like, he he admitted to the being guilty and he took the plea offer and then even after that he was still trying to get his degree which I thought was disgusting and I don't understand why he was able to do that or why UVA would even let him have a chance to do that I don't I don't know what they say on their side or what the reasoning is behind that but yeah he pled guilty and then they still were going to let him um, do a hearing with both of us on the on the phone and stuff and give him a chance to still earn his degree after all that that was that was one thing I could not put in the in the plea deal, which I felt very, very strongly about besides the jail time, is that I didn't want him to be able to graduate from UVA, right? This prestigious university, I didn't think he should be able to to walk away with a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. In public policy, yeah, that's like a great, 
It's a great major at our Yeah, in public policy, I mean, come on. At UVA, right? Right near D.C. So he still had a chance to do that, and that really irked me and frustrated me. And it wasn't until March where we both had to do this hearing, and I had to see him again fucking face-to-face. I had to pin the screen so that he wouldn't, like, show up on the big FaceTime Zoom thing in front of me. And I had to hear, I listened to what he had to say about the case and what he felt that he learned and what it's taught him and how he wants to talk to young boys about the dangers of hooking up in college and what it can do to you. And wow. I was like, I, yeah. yeah, I don't think this kid feels that Any remorse. Like he, he didn't even refer to it as a rape after pleading guilty. He was like the dangers of hooking up with the wrong person. I need to talk to the freshman about, it. yeah, I almost laughed. I was like, I can't believe his your attorney lawyer laughed. Like, I think I was like, did he actually saying this right now? Like is his attorney like, act, like, they're actually letting him say this right now. Um, I thought it was a complete joke. But, yeah, he got to talk, and then I got to talk. And I was like, no, in my head, he, there's no way for me to force that he's listening to the Zoom call, right? Like, he could have it on mute. He could just be wandering off in the corner and not listening to it. But I'm like, I really fucking, after all this, I hope he hears everything I have to say right now and what it did to me. Because he has no idea the repercussions and, like, the tolls that it took on me, not just, like, physically and right in the moment but the whole fucking year after and everything else that happened because of it and everything i had to go through and i was like i really hope he fucking listens and there's no way for me to mandate that and i'm still salty about that but i hope he heard what i had to say on the phone that day i think he March. probably heard what your lawyer had to say and your lawyer ripped him a new one. Oh, he ripped him and the pre-hearing um my lawyer was like every time he would try to talk my lawyer was just like excuse me um why are we letting the rapist talk like why does he get a say? Like, this doesn't make any sense. You bring my client. Why are you asking him? Like, so I think he did get ripped a little bit there. But I just wanted it to come from me, though. Like, I had a personal, yeah, I don't, like, just my own my own self-justice. I really wanted him to hear what I had to say. And just, like, kind of a big, not even fuck you, but do you even realize what all this caused? Like, you are so fucking oblivious to all this. Like, you have no idea. I'm completely negligent so I really wanted him to hear what I had to say and I hope he I hope he did I doubt he did but I really hope he did well we are gonna have to wrap this up but <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being so open and talking about it and I mean I always say that you're very inspiring but like I feel like this really shows it like you're like probably one of the strongest people I've ever met mm-hmm. and I mean that from the bottom of my heart so yeah, I love you. No, thank you. I wish, um, I think I, I don't know what I did with all this stuff at the time and all, like, it kind of all feels like a, a blur right now. You're, you're helping me remember some of the details and some of the injustices that occurred within that process and some of the feelings I was feeling at the time, but there's a whole lot more that, that went into it that I wish I could tell you that I just can't remember off the top of my head or it would have to be reminded me somehow, or I'd have to look back at the 30-page, 15-page documents and all the screenshots of the text and all that crap. But I feel like, I hope I was able to give you guys at least somewhat of a taste of what I experienced. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, thank you so much for being willing to share all this. It's really powerful what you did in seeking justice and I think the way you phrase your frustrations is really well thought out and just really impressed to hear you speak, so thank you. Of course. Thank you for having me. Of course. Keep advocating for people like you. You know, I want to do... For the work I'm in right now, I know I got to make money while I'm younger and, you know, build some stability here, some financial stability. But I do want to do some work that matters probably around this topic when I'm a little bit older because I think this is so, so important. 
And even if it's talked about enough, there's, there's not enough done about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really want to help build awareness about this or do at least something to help people in this topic, sexual abuse, sexual harassment. So we'll see. That's my goal. I will help you. <laughs> I would write a book. I literally will write a book about it. I don't care. I'd go back through every detail. Oh. Well, I love you. Connor loves you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe someday. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Thank you, McKenna. That was, it's been a long two years for her to say the least, and also for the family, mostly my mom who's been dealing with this too, but yeah, definitely took up a lot of time and a lot of headspace. I can imagine. Yeah, unfortunate. Well, I I know McKenna's shared some other notes with you as well. Yeah, so she, one thing that really proved to be like quite an issue was when she went to the hospital to do the rape kit, they didn't take her um, BAC, her blood alcohol content. Um, and she told me, like, the next day, she was so drunk the night before that she was, like, still drunk at the hospital. And that is, like, super important. And I don't really know how they forgot about that. But um, so then it became, like, really extra important. She had to have a ton of witnesses that could speak to how drunk she was the night before. So, like, anybody who had saw her the night before had to make a statement. I read, like, all of those. There was, like, a 50-page document of, like, witness statements. So all of those people had to testify on her account that she was, like, visibly intoxicated. So that was, like, a big kind of mess-up, too, that got in the way. But it's just, like, a messy process that's just not done well at all like the fact that they had dna evidence for like four months that my sister didn't know about but the other side did is like does not seem okay yeah that seems like a crucial imbalance and i mean whether it's systemic or just a one case fuck up that's a pretty severe fuck up to say the least and i think it is like pretty systemic because i know she had it Like, I'm not going to say easy. Obviously, it's never easy, but she already has answers and, like, a little bit of justice, and some people never get that, or it takes, like, years and years. So she had, like, a pretty expedited process regardless. I mean, she literally said that a year and a half was fast. Yes. Which is crazy. I know, and it is crazy because I can't imagine having to go through the details of a trauma like so much for an entire year and a half like how do you even start to heal when you have to be thinking about that all the time but then imagine other people that go through it and it takes like three or four years you're just constantly reliving this thing it's it's got to be so hard to move on yeah I know I I can't even imagine um what I wanted to ask you was what was it like being a family member during this time what if anything, did you learn for other individuals that have to support their siblings, their daughters, their... Um... Yeah, I think something 
it was like really hard as a family obviously I remember like when my mom got the phone call and we all found out and me and my younger sister were both at home because it was during COVID but my mom went out and stayed with her for like two months um me and my sister she ended up coming home for like another two months I think but I think what was important that helped her that me and my younger sister did was we let her talk about it to us I think like everybody has their different ways of processing and I think she's a very she needs to talk through it kind of and write down her feelings and this and that and so we would ask her questions and she was comfortable answering but I think it helped her to like have us to talk to also because she couldn't really talk about it to anyone else because of the ongoing investigation she couldn't tell any of her friends any of the details not like her coaches her no one it was like just within the family so it became like really important for us to be there to like listen and support her because we were the only people that could at that time damn like legally (laughs) I, i i can't even imagine yeah well, we were like, why don't we all go? And my mom was like, no, your dad can't go. Like, he will literally kill this guy. Right. <laughs> like, your yeah. dad needs to stay home, and it's just going to be me that goes because my little sister and I were, like, furious also because, I mean, this kid was, like, on her Instagram, like, in pictures with right. her. Like, we all knew of him because he was one of her best friends. Mm-hmm. And we were just, like, like, when I found out who it was, I was like, are you f- freaking kidding me because I had heard about this kid like right. for three years it's just like shocking yeah and I I'm still shocked when I think about it yeah it's so surreal yeah Crazy. I think it just like it really goes to show how fucked up these things are and and I mean it's not like a thing where you shouldn't go around trusting everyone like mm-hmm. it, it and I think it's really easy for people that live through these type of things to really lose the ability to trust people um, and have a really hard time letting people close. But it's horrifying that it really can be anyone. Yeah. And most of the time it is like people that you know, and that's the even scarier thing. Like after that happened, I definitely had to like reevaluate my friendships with a lot of my guy friends because I was like, holy shit. Like, am I actually comfortable? Like, drinking with these people alone or like being with them and I know it's like not fair to say that about all guys but right. it clearly it's something that women have to be Worry like hyper vigilant about and it's just the unfortunate truth yeah yeah I believe it I I mean I think just the matter of who you place your trust in there's something so vulnerable about that yeah and when you're deciding to trust someone whether it be just in a relationship or as, as a friendship or at any level, you're opening yourself up to the possibility of being really, really painfully betrayed yeah. in a lot of different ways. And I think that's something so powerful about connecting with individuals is when you do reach a level, it can be really beautiful to like have that level of trust with, with another. But then things like these happen and it really shatters your ability to just trust the individual next to you, whoever it may be. Yeah, and I think like I'm really proud and happy for her that she like is still able to like create and maintain relationships and it didn't shatter that completely I think like it definitely shifted a lot of the ones that she already had and it 
is different how she goes about like creating relationships right. now or how she interacts with the people that she's close with. But I'm like very happy for her that she didn't fully like pull away from people and stop trusting everyone completely because then she would have isolated herself. And I mean, she made it very clear that like the social support is what really was important and um, healing for her. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think like one of the really just unfortunate truths is that sexual assault and harassment has just become kind of normalized. Like I think a lot of college age students at least have some sort of experience with sexual assault, whether it's like, I mean, like, I've been at parties before where I'm drunk and, like, someone random, like, grabbed my butt and this and that. And I'm just like, oh, that was weird. But, like, that's, act- that's like, not okay. Yeah. And I mean, speaking from my own experience, this isn't something I've opened up a lot about just because I-, I feel like they're so gendered about the idea of sexual assault. And I remember a couple years ago when Me Too was going down and, it it was such a big deal that Terry Crews came out and said something. It was something I didn't really think a lot about before that. My freshman year of college, going into the spring semester when I was really drinking a lot and I was having a real hard time finding my identity. I was still on the football team at the time, but I knew it was something I wasn't passionate about. It was before COVID. I'd finally sort of settled into my crowd. I had some really good people, but I was having a really hard time balancing and figuring out who I was and what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be and still just having a really hard time being so far away from home. And while I had a network of friends, I hadn't necessarily found my network of people that I could really discuss my mental health, my anxiety with. And so I was drinking a lot. One night I went out, I'd been drinking all day and we had a formal or something and I, I couldn't even tell you because I don't remember a thing. I just remember waking up the next morning with the Snapchat from a girl that I had like a class with and vaguely knew and had ran into before and um, just with like a, oh, like had a great time last night and me running to my roommate and being like, what the fuck is this? Um, he, and he was like, yeah, you don't remember? You like... Some girl, like, brought you back here last night, which, like, as opposed to, like, you brought a girl back here last night. Right. Well, because you were so intoxicated. Yeah. He was like, you came over to talk to me. I was hanging out in one of our floor mates' rooms, and you were trying to stand, and you fell into his closet. Then you somehow made it back over there. I just let you guys have the space. I don't really know what happened. And I was just kind of in shock. I mean, I did the math pretty quickly, and, of course, you, I mean, even as intoxicated as you are, you can maybe like remember a face or like a moment. And I I think I've, I remembered like vaguely being walked back and not really much else. And I didn't really know what to do with myself. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you what happened. I, I still can't, but like at, as a guy, it's sort of acknowledged that when something like that happens, it's supposedly supposed to be like another notch in the belt. Like you're not supposed to right. complain about it. And sexual assault it, doesn't have a gender like it's, right and that's the thing well well the thing the thing was is like when I found another friend of mine that this had actually happened to a year prior it became like a laughing point between the two of us 
like oh they they got you too like yeah that's so um it, it was someone who had sort of a habit of finding one of the drunk like a, a drunker guy and taking advantage of a situation and I remember just feeling so disheartened and I still don't think I ever really fully processed it but it was really I just felt really de- devalued and I mean the the thing that frustrated me was I know if the roles were reversed and like I don't want to be that guy I don't want to make that complaint or such a thing but it's a completely different story and it's a horrific horrific story no it's absolutely true like there is no excuse to do that regardless of what your gender is or how you identify like taking advantage of someone who's like stumbling over drunk and I think like as peers we need to be more vigilant about creating safe spaces or like acknowledging when our friend or someone is in a state where they might not remember it in the morning might not have wanted to like I think girls do this a lot, um, but I think more guys need to do it for each other right. and look well, out for each other. Like, I think your roommate, if he saw you fall into the closet, maybe. Uh, yeah, but I, I think at the same time, like like I said, there is this acknowledgement between guys right. where, like, there's a 50-50 shot that he stops me, at least in, in his mind. Like, if you're a guy and you're trying to stop yeah. your friend from, like, you don't want to be a cock block. Like, it's. yeah. But people can important. Oh, of do. course. To, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't want to elicit that reaction, and right. there's always that fear of eliciting that reaction. And I, I totally agree. I'm just a- no, acknowledging I, yeah. that the way the way like our culture is set is the act of questioning is it will never be a sure thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know really what to say about it though. It's just fucked up. Yeah, I'm. I'm just saying that. I know I'm not the only guy with a story like that. And Oh, I know you're not, too. Um, I've heard about... I mean, yeah. I know the girl, and I've heard about some other people that have experienced very similar situations. Right. And, and, and she's it's never not, been held accountable for it. Yeah, and I, I... Really, looking back, I do not think it was a malicious thing. And I don't think it's a... I feel like in a lot of male situations, it's a power dynamic thing. Right. And it's, it's an imposition of, like, masculine will. And looking back, like... I don't think there's, like, a power differential thing, and I'm not excusing any of it, but it's just the culture around, I think, like, the masculine side of sexual violence, or at least on the receiving end of it, especially across a heterosexual divide, is really a conversation that isn't had. Yeah. And which which was an all-the-more isolating experience when, when I went through it, and, like, I would hardly say... Like, I wouldn't associate it along the lines of rough experiences I've had in my life. But I think as I look back, the, the like, devaluation of myself that occurred because of it contributed greatly to my, what what should have been a moment where I stepped back, oh, I drank too much, I allowed self-victim blaming. It became a moment of, like, severe devaluing of myself, my self-worth, that I think happened subconsciously. subconsciously yeah. And I didn't really process it for probably another two years. So I'm really glad for the people that opened the airways for me to be able to be like, okay, that was pretty fucked up. Like, yeah. But at the same time, I think it's more just a lesson of the omission in society of the equality in this discussion 
and the opportunity to just be better and do better. And I think recognizing and sticking your neck out for your guys goes just as far as when you see a girl in a similar state. And yeah. And I think, I mean, if, if the trial process doesn't go to show sexual assault is a really difficult task to manage. Yeah. Neither of us are educated in law. Neither of us are educated in sexual violence prevention or trauma recovery. We're just experienced. Exactly. Experienced. So, I mean, by no means take our word as law, but (laughs) more so that this discussion isn't even close to over. And in fact, in a lot of ways, despite the efforts of movies like The Hunting Ground and all, all these other social movements around Me Too and things like that. It's like just started. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't have the answers. I really, I really don't. But I think awareness and education is such a necessary starting point. And Um, I think it is important to just talk about because before it was talked about, there was like no shot. And so like the fact that my sister was able to have like a verdict in a year and a half, I think a lot of it is probably due to like the Me Too and the shifting like social... Um, awareness of this Um, so it's definitely an ongoing conversation and hopefully one that can start to also include like men being victims of sexual assault and giving them the same platform and respect that we give women who are victims of sexual assault right I completely agree and I know I always offer out the opportunity to share your stories anonymously but especially to my male listeners, I encourage you on this week of all weeks to maybe share your story if you feel comfortable. I think it's something really powerful, and I think in my own experience, finding the voice behind that story really helped me process it and make sense of it and be able to grow and get past it. Yeah, well, because I remember when we talked about it last year, you, like, told me, and I was like, Connor, that's not really okay. And you're like, yeah, I know, but everybody else kind of thinks it is and it's like that sort of rhetoric right which also really needs to change yeah i completely agree if you're a male and you feel like something was wrong your feelings are valid and it was probably wrong and you can feel taken advantage of Mm -hmm. i completely agree yeah Listeners, thank you so much for diving into what was really such a difficult conversation this week if you have any feedback, any stories, I encourage you to reach out. Tatum, do you have any closing thoughts on all this? Yeah, I just want to make another disclaimer. Like, obviously, me and Connor are no experts in this topic, and it's a really tough topic. So I apologize if we said anything that might have come across as wrong. It wasn't our intention. I just want to put that out there. I know these things are really sensitive, and everything affects people differently, so... Yeah, I want to apologize if anything came across in a way that it wasn't intended. And then I also want to put a little shout out for McKenna is actually writing the blog post for this week. And so she's going to be including some details that she might have forgotten in the interview or that she wrote down and found after the interview. So we will have that linked as well. Um, So check that out. Absolutely. Well, listeners, thank you so much. As always, the uh, link to the blog, to the survey, to everything will be in the description of the show. Make sure to check that out. Follow us on socials. Engage with us there whenever you can. And above all else, 
I can't wait to keep growing with you. Thank you.